Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, the Old Testament Psalter, chapter 92. crucified and buried and rose again from the dead and now highly exalted at the right hand of the Father. And it's in your name, O Lord, that we pray for your blessing upon your word. Make it clear. Give us understanding in our minds and give us affections in our hearts and give us wills, Father, to follow your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a unique song. There's really no other song like it simply because of the title. It is a song, a song 
for the Sabbath day. Let me begin with two quotes. One, a general quote on the Sabbath in general, and then a more specific quote on this particular psalm. Matthew Henry says about God's laws, God's laws are not only backed with the highest authority, but supported with, his, with, the, with the best reason. God's own example is the great reason. So the great, as the work of creation is worthy to be thus commemorated, so the great creator is worthy to be thus imitated by a holy rest, the seventh day. After six days' labor, especially since we hope in further conformity to the same example, shortly to rest with him from all our labors. <coughs> o. Paul Robertson, in his, I think, very good small book entitled The Flow of the Psalms, Discovering Its Structure and Theology, says this about Psalm 92, in particular, its title. He says, Psalm 92's title provide, provides distinctive directions for the employment of this psalm in a context of corporate praise and worship. It is a mizmor, a praise psalm, a term that occurs in the heading of 57 psalms, it is a shear, another Hebrew word. The next term in this title means simply song, a term primarily employed to express communal rather than individual piety. The third portion of the title of Psalm 92 strongly confirms its praise and worship context. The unique phrase declares this particular psalm to be for the Sabbath day. When this phrase is considered in the context of Israel's weekly worship practices, it is clear that the author of this psalm envisioned its use on a regular basis, perhaps even during the nation's weekly assembly for worship. This title, in and of itself, raises some good and valid questions to try to understand the context of the psalm. What was Israel's general duty in the light of the fourth commandment? What was Israel's specific duty in the light of the fourth commandment? And since this song is titled a song, how is singing applied to the keeping of the fourth commandment? And how then should we, in the new covenant, understand and apply this song to ourselves. In order to answer those questions briefly, I hope briefly, let me say just a few things. In the law and the laws of God, there are both moral laws and there are what are called positive laws. Moral laws are those laws commanded by God based on His own eternal nature that are morally applicable and binding upon all people at all times. Thus is the fourth commandment. It is a part of the Ten Commandments, God's moral law. When God commanded 
In the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, that is a moral law. It has an abiding and binding moral application to everyone in every place at all times. Our children are not to covet. And when they covet, they break God's law. We are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And when we don't remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, we break God's law. It's a moral law. But at the same time, there are what are called positive laws. These are those laws that were given at a particular time for particular reasons and are binding upon those people at the time that they were given. But they are not binding upon all people at all times. The ceremonial laws of Israel are an example of those positive laws. They are no longer binding upon us, yet they were God's positive law for Israel. The commandment to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is both moral and it has positive Implications. It has positive laws with it. It was moral because it not only is a part of the Ten Commandments, an expression of God's very holy character, but it also originated, the Sabbath originated at creation. God made the Sabbath day. He sanctified the Sabbath day and called it holy. However, God commanded Israel to keep the fourth commandment not only for solemn rest, but by way of ceremonial law and civil law. Those would be considered positive laws given to a particular people, given to Israel, and then abrogated when Christ came, died, buried, and rose again from the grave. And particularly related to the Sabbath commandment, there were sacrifices that were ceremonial and commanded to be kept in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. A part of resting and keeping the Sabbath day holy for Israel was to offer sacrifices. Numbers 28, 9, and 10. And there were also civil laws given as a part of the fourth commandment applied to the governing of the people. Exodus 35, 1 through 3, the examples that in our day and age seem very extreme, that breaking the fourth commandment was a capital offense to Israel. So it had civil laws attached to it as well. The ceremonial and civil laws pertaining to the fourth commandment have been abrogated, but the moral law of God concerning his command to keep the Sabbath day holy has not been abrogated. It is binding upon us. Even as believers, it is the direction, God's direction and command for our life. I would call your attention, I'm not going to take time to read it, but to our Confession of Faith, chapter 19, paragraphs 3 and 4, that describe the ceremonial law and the civil law and how they were abrogated by Christ. When we come to the application of the fourth commandment as a moral law, 
we read in Leviticus 19, 1 through 4, and Leviticus 23, 3 especially, we read this in Leviticus 23, 3. Six days shall your work be done. It, the seventh day, is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is a Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. This component of the fourth commandment carries over into the new covenant where Israel was commanded to assemble together as the people of God as a part of Sabbath day keeping. And likewise, we are called to assemble together on the Lord's day as a part of keeping the Christian Sabbath. Where New Covenant believers assembled on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, the public assembly of God's people is still God's command to us, though the day was changed from the last day of the week to the first day of the week, and is now known as the Lord's Day. Three references that you can look at when you have time is Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, where they assembled on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, where the church assembled on the first day of the week to collect money for those other churches in need. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, where the Apostle John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the day that belonged to him. Specific reference to the Christian Sabbath. And commenting on Leviticus 23, 3, Joseph Piper said that a holy convocation was a time of corporate worship. Therefore, at least part of the purpose of the Sabbath rest was to, to observe the day by participating in public worship. A part of the purpose of Sabbath rest was to observe the day by participating in public worship. In the New Covenant, we are commanded not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. But what happened in Israel? Which brings us another question to another question. How did they observe the Lord's Day, not only with holy convocation, but especially since we have a psalm, a song for the Sabbath? How did singing play a role in the life of the old covenant people of God? The singing of the Israelites in the Old Testament was something that developed over time. There were times when they sang in times of celebration and victory over their enemies. An example of that may be very familiar to you when they crossed the Red Sea and the Lord delivered them from the chariots and the soldiers of the warriors of Egypt and he drowned them in the Red Sea and then they sang together as God's people a song of deliverance and praise. That wasn't necessarily Sabbath day singing. But what we have in the scriptures comes when we think about Old Testament singing and how it has developed over time, it came to its clearest expression in the Davidic kingdom. Consider some of these psalms. 
and how they emphasize the assembly and the singing within the assembly. A Psalm of David, Psalm 27, 6. A Psalm of David, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 96, 1 through 9 is another example. Psalm 100, the entire psalm, which isn't very long, is another example. Let me turn there to Psalm 100. Just listen to what the psalmist said. A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Language pointing to the singing of God's people as they approach the tabernacle and the, and the gates and the doors of the tabernacle of God. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Psalm 149, 1. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Those are glorious verses. Where the Psalms declare to us, we are to sing to the Lord, to exalt His praise in the assembly of the saints. But not only does the assembly on the Sabbath take place in the Old Covenant, but and the assembly on the Sabbath and over the Lord's Day take place in the New Covenant, so does singing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. Listen to the words, words of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And I don't know of any way that that can be interpreted except within the context of public worship. But we sing not only to the Lord, but we are instructed to sing to one another, to teach and admonish one another through our singing within God's church. Ryan mentioned this morning in his message, in his sermon, our Confession of Faith, chapter 22, of religious worship and the Sabbath day. And I would encourage you, if you, most of us have read that, I would encourage you to go back and read through what our forefathers, in a summary of what is religious worship for the New Covenant believer. As it, as it takes place on the Sabbath day. We are to assemble as God's covenant people on the Lord's day. 
as a part of Sabbath rest. We are to assemble as God's covenant people on the Lord's day as part of God's Sabbath rest and within the corporate worship of the triune God, an element of that worship prescribed by God himself is singing. To come back to our song. A song, a song for the Sabbath day. What does this song teach us about Lord's Day congregational singing? What does this song teach us about Lord's Day congregational singing? There are three things that I think we can notice in Psalm 92. First, in verses 1 through 4, that our singing should be true praise. Our singing should be true praise. And what I mean by that is not that the praise itself be valid, but that the praise be true. That when we praise and exalt God in our singing, we should take care in making sure that what we are singing is true. What does the psalmist tell us? It is good. And there are really four things that are under the umbrella of this goodness that God says is good. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is good to declare your loving kindness in the morning. It is good to declare your faithfulness every night. And how are you to do that? On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. Instrumentation was involved, and it then is valid and proper to be involved in the singing and the worship of God's name. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. When we, as we heard this morning, lift up our voices in song to give thanksgiving to the Lord, to give thanksgiving to Yahweh, the covenant God of both the old covenant and the new covenant, our covenant God, we have to offer our thanksgiving to Him in truth. It is good to sing praise to your name, O Most High. This phrase, O Most High, when referring to God, is the praise offered to the only true God who is transcendent above all he has made, above all creation. He is the Most High God. He's not just a High God or the High God. He is the Most High God. He's a God over my life. He's a God over my wife's life. He is the most high God over my children, over our church, over this nation, over the nations of this world, over every king and prince and governor and president and monarch. He alone is the most high God. And it is good to sing praises to your name. That, that cannot but cause within 
the person who is united to Christ to lift up our eyes and to and to lift up our hearts beyond ourselves beyond our circumstances beyond the disappointments beyond the struggles that we assemble together to exalt the name of the Most High God and to worship Him as He has revealed Himself in His Word. Our songs should be a reminder that God is God. The universe is sustained by Him. He knows all the stars by name, and because of Him, not one of them is missing. He is high above all creation, above things seen and unseen. He is high above all nations, and he is high above all peoples. And that's either a comfort, or that's terrifying. To know that there is a God, the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is most high over all that he has made, including you and me. This phrase referring to God as the most high God is used many, many times in the Old Testament, but I want us to just look at one example in Psalm 46. verses, but within the context of the Most High God, we read these wonderful words. God is our refuge and strength. The very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, say not. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in all the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And the God to which we sing, we come together in his unique presence when we corporately worship together on his Lord's day. 
I don't know how your past week has been. I know how mine has been. And it is good to come to the house of the Lord and sing praises to the Most High God who has covenanted with me for my good. No wonder he is a refuge and strength. Our singing should be true praise to his name. Not just, this is not exhaustive as we know, but, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of the times when, whether it's a confession that we are reading, whether it's a hymn that we are singing, where there are corrections made in some of the wording of the hymns. And there's a reason for that. I haven't asked what the reason is, but I'm assuming that the reason is that it would be true. That we will be singing the truth. But not only should our singing of praise be true, but our singing should also be a proclamation of God's truth. Singing is a proclamation. Look at verses 5 through 11 of Psalm 92. O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. The senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when the workers of iniquity flourish, it is as they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn, my strength, you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eyes also have seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. This Sabbath song has some sharp edges. Because it's praising God for his goodness and his severity, for his judgment and his grace. And they're both true. The day will come when the wicked will perish. The same one who judges the wicked, the same one who judges his enemies is our strength. And by his strength we have been exalted like a wild ox. We have been refreshed by him. He has been, I have been anointed with fresh oil. This worship, this song of worship, is a reminder and a declaration that though God is a God of judgment, he is also a God of grace. There's some different interpretations on what to do with verse 11, where the psalmist says, My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies, my ears hear my desire on the wicked 
who rise up against me. As though the psalmist was talking about this is what he wanted to happen. But if you notice the words, my desire, are in caps, which means they were put in by the translators to help us what they thought was to understand the flow of the text. But if you take those words out, what do you have? My eyes also have seen on my enemies. My ears hear on the wicked who rise up against me. I think a valid interpretation is also that he is saying in this song, my eyes see what my enemies are doing. My ears hear what my enemies are doing. They rise up against me, but the Lord is my strength. And I have been anointed with fresh oil within the context of enemies rising against him at every hand. Sort of reminds you of Psalm 73. We're not going to take time to read that, but it would be good to read that in parallel to Psalm 92. But we are to praise God, and our songs are to be a declaration, a proclamation of what is true. And we, and we shouldn't be embarrassed. to tell the world as we lift up our praises to God that he is holy and righteous and just and he will by no means clear the guilty. And at the same time our songs will say amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see we declare his judgment. We declare the truth of his grace in our singing. And finally, we learn from this song that our singing should be encouraging. When we assemble together as God's covenant people on the Lord's day, it is such a unique and blessed day. And our singing should be encouraging. What does he say in this song, beginning in verse 12? I love these last verses, maybe because I'm old. But this is what he says. This is what he sings. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Where will he flourish? Where will the righteous grow? Where will sanctification take place? Where will that happen? They shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. 
to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This flourishing, this growth, takes place within the assembly of God's people. It takes place as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, teaching and admonishing one another. Through our singing, we encourage one another. Our singing bears fruit in the hearts of other people and in our own hearts. And even within the assembly of God, you can grow old, you become weak, but there is still fruit. Amen. Is there not? Don't we know that? Sabbath ultimately point us. It points us ultimately to the blessings and the privileges that were purchased for us by Christ. One of which is an eternal Sabbath day. Of which this Sabbath day is just a taste of that Sabbath day. I left church last Lord's Day, and again this Lord's Day, thinking there is a taste of heaven. This Lord's Day is a taste of heaven. The assembly of God's people hearing the proclaimed word, reading the perfect and holy scriptures, praying together, and singing hymns of praise. We taste that the Lord is good, and we get just a glimpse of our eternal Sabbath. Let me close, let me close with the words of a hymn by John Newton. And I hope that this will encourage you. Safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek, waiting in his courts today. Day of all the week the best, emblem of eternal rest. While we pray for pardoning grace, through the dear Redeemer's name, show thy reconciled face, Take away our sin and shame. From our worldly cares set free, may we rest this day in thee. Here we come thy name to praise. Let us feel thy presence near. May thy glory meet our eyes while we in thy house appear. Here afford us, Lord, a taste of our everlasting feast. May thy gospel's joyful sound conquer sinners, comfort saints. May the fruits of grace abound, bring relief 
for all complaints. Thus may all our Sabbaths prove till we join the church above. Do you love the Lord's Day? Do you really love the Lord's Day? Is it a delight to you to be with God's people and to worship together as His covenant people and to sing truth and praise and encouragement to the Lord and to one another through Jesus Christ by the help of the Holy Spirit as we lift our voices and hearts in worship to our triune God. May he give us blessed Sabbath days. Father, bless your word to our hearts again that we might rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ who purchased for us Lord the great riches in the heavenly places the eternal Sabbath and has given us this Sabbath as we wait for that one may we learn how to sing in a way that is do to your great, holy, and gracious name.